Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. to another episode of Wookie Radio. <laughs> Sorry, trying to remember what show wow. we were doing. <laughs> it's been a long week. Uh, yeah, Wookie Radio does not start with an M. No. Is that, uh, but, is we it, be, but We Be Geeks does. Is it and, We Be Marvel Wookies? <laughs> I think that's what we called it last time we had them all together. <laughs> we, we Be Marvel Wookie Radio Geeks. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Um, it is the Smugglers 3. Uh, we have ex- eluded the Imperials. Um, oh, Did you get a new, scan it, new encryption software? Yeah, finally my my R7 units, finally. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened with that R7. Well, now we'll test it out. Yeah, it, he wants to give me lip every now and then, which... Don't they always? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, hopefully he acts up. He he doesn't act up tonight, and and will actually be good. There he is. Too much of that idea. If it's if it's not the dog, it's my R seven unit. <laughs> so, um, I want to give a quick shout out real quick before we start. Uh, one of our listeners and someone who tweets about tweets with us on Twitter as opposed to Facebook or Instagram. Um, let me find his tweet. It's Jeffrey Fishbach. Yeah, I saw that earlier this week, too. Uh, not only, hopefully, will he still be listening to Wookiee Radio, which which is cool, because, I mean, we all listen to other Star Wars podcasts as well. Um, one or two. One, two, five, seven. Uh, we, get, we get an official count of how many we all listen to. Uh, wait, right here. Two, four, nine or five. Okay, well, he didn't help us, so... Um, Jeffrey Fishbaugh, along with... uh, Okay, I can't find his... Along with his co-host, Tristan Ament, they're doing a show called Canto Cast. Um, So so check them out, along with with us, and tell them Wookiee Radio sent you. The, The Smugglers 3 from Wookiee Radio referred you to Canto Cast. I mean, there, there's no reason to for Star Wars podcasts to be at war with each other. Um, we can all get along. We got to stick together against the Empire. That's oh, right. Yeah, because yeah. when when they come a calling, well, <laughs> you don't realize they've come a calling. <laughs> I find your lack of faith disturbing. <laughs> Who let him on board? Nobody lets him on board. <laughs> this is, he does what he wants. Yeah. This is this is true. So, um I'm gonna I'm gonna get started. We're gonna hit some comic news right off 
the get go because we're we're jam packed. Uh, we got some comic news, we got novel news, uh, some news from Gen Con, um, which is happening this weekend. I'll get that going. Uh, you know, with some gaming. Yes, we do cover gaming. Uh, and then some. There's int- some exciting stuff coming from gaming. And then some um, movie news that <laughs> is news, but isn't news. Uh, I, I'm, uh, that's a good I, way to put it. Well, I'm saying, yeah, but not saying. Official. I think part uh, of it's official. Well, well, we'll get to that at, as we get closer to to those. But uh, we talked about Karen Gillian ushering in um, the new Star Wars story arcs, uh, starting with issue 38, I believe. Um, con- uh, CBR.com talked to him about, which I would love to get him either here or on Mighty Marvel Geeks um, to, to talk about this as well. But... Um, they did an interview with him, and I found it enlightening and very intriguing on what he's planning to do, you know, taking over for Jason Aaron, which, I mean, some big shoes there with Jason Aaron. Um, but apparently Jason Aaron's still doing maybe one or two issues, uh, unless unless the the cover I'm seeing, yeah, I, yeah I, I don't understand. They're showing a cover of issue 40, and it still lists Aaron as the writer and not... Gillian. Yeah, so, well, later on, you go down, it shows issue 38, and it shows Gillian as the um, yeah, writer, so. Yeah. So, Maybe they're trading off back and forth a little. I don't know. Well, CBR starts off with, from your work on Darth Vader and Dr. Aphra, two great books. The Vader series was awesome. Yes, it was. The Aphra series is kicking butt. Indeed. Um, and of course, one of the best birthday presents I could get is Dr. Afra Annual Number One comes out Wednesday with my birthday on Thursday. Hey. So happy birthday to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always a good for me. I, I love all the Star Wars titles, but I to get either that five issue, you know, the next issue in that in that mini or to get Dr. Afra has been the the thing to get i i haven't been this excited and in looking forward to picking up a new issue than i have each month with dr afra um i i just really love what they're doing what what he's doing with them with her um so anyhow it's clear that you're you love telling tales set in the world of star wars but i imagine you wouldn't take on a big assignment as marvel's flagship star wars book if you didn't have a story to tell that's different from what we've seen so far so what can you tell us about your larger themes and your approach to the series? Uh, Carrion's reply is, A lot of the book will be similar to my approach with Vader, only the, with the cast from A New Hope, in that I looked where, at where they were at the end of the first movie and where they were at the start of Empire. I then removed everything Jason Aaron had already done and saw what was left. Mm-hmm. So, essentially, everything that Jason Aaron has done is canon. Vader down is now canon. Well, it um, was anyway. Screaming Citadel is canon. Well, yeah, any of the Marvel books is canon. So what what he's done, um, in, along with the two movies, it sounds like Kieran's having to push that to the side and go, okay, here's what's here's what I have available to me. So. Um, in the case of New Hope, they're kind of in the complete opposite of where Darth Vader was. Darth Vader starts really low because the Death Star had just blown up and he was kind of responsible. That's what happens when you try to order pizza and you push the wrong button. <laughs> um, and his series ends with him in charge of his own fleet at the start of Empire. 
That's clearly a fall and rise story. With the Rebels, they just had an enormous victory. They've blown up the Death Star, which was literally 20 years of work from the Empire, just for one tiny little hole with a direct path to the reactor. Um, it took them 20 years to build that giant space shopping mall? Yeah, with, with the with the Stormtrooper Wedding Chapel. So, so what? Return of the Jedi takes place supposedly how long after Return or after A New Hope? I believe about six years, approximately. Oh. <clears throat> so they were already in the plans of building a second Death Star? They would have to have been. Oh, yeah. You know, for, for been 20 years. On that, but yeah. They were probably, the plan was probably to, you know, not just build one and be done with it, but build multiples. Well, it makes you wonder, did Chancellor Palpatine, once he got the, the plans from the Death Star from the Geonosians, you know, when Dooku got them and handed them to him at the end of Attack of the Clones, did he start then on the Death Star? That would be my guess. Yeah, he would have had to, because if you look where they're at at the end of um, Revenge of the Sith, there's uh, they're pretty far along in it. Right. They're building yeah. the superstructure. Yeah. Well, of course, they reference it, too, in Rebels as well. Yeah. Well, we look at Rogue One. They were already building the Death Star before they had the power source or anything figured out. Yeah. Right. They hadn't even, um, what's the name, Galen wasn't even on board yet, and they were already building it. That so, was one of the problems with construction. So, of course, the the Rebels are in an upswing. Jason's been touching on that a bit. By the time we see them in Empire, they're cornered at a remote base, and they've been running for ages. They're quite low. The Empire struck back before Empire Strikes Back starts. That's kind of the core thing. So we start high with the rise of the Rebellion, and then there must be some awful tragedy at some point. At the same time, this is just as much about the rise of Luke Han and, to a slightly different degree, Leia. By the time we meet up with Han in Empire, you've got Leia saying that he's a born leader of men. That means he's been leading men. He's called Han Solo, Solo being the key word. He's been in a position of authority at some point. Uh, with Jason, we've seen a lot about the Jedi. The primary narrative of what of that run was about Luke trying to develop his powers and become a Jedi. Luke has become good, about as good as he can be. We see how good he was in Empire, so we can't make much more progress there. What we can explore is Luke's relationship with the Rebellion. We could show him within the ranks doing some of the things like assembling squadrons. We see Leia increasingly as a military leader, so we have her exploring the responsibility that she's been positioned in, which obviously we get that by the time we get to Force Awakens, where she's now General Leia, not Princess Leia. Um, So my run will kind of be at the time period where she goes through this other way, dovetailing the two unknown twins, and their lives seemed really interesting to me. So CBR comes back, so we'll see how these individuals push against and grow into the roles they play in, a, in the larger organization of the, of the Rebel Alliance. Uh, his reply, yes, and how they shape it. That's the thing. They're a member of a pretty significant ranking by the time of Empire. How did that end up happening? My answer to that question is probably one of my favorite things about the run. The idea is almost Shakespearean. Well, of course, with him living in England, um, I'm sure Shakespeare has a major impact. Uh, it does for almost anyone in the the in the theatrical entertainment world as well. Um, the rebellion must have a solid tactic. The idea of the Death Star was so unfathomably mind-boggling. Everyone's like, the Empire. The Empire tried to do what? The Empire did what? So for the Rebellion, it's like, what do we do next? That's the great irony. The Death Star was A, built, and B, blown up. So after that, they have more people 
than ever trying to resist the empire, which means it's a really optimistic time for the rebellion. So we'll be charting that and dealing with diplomacy. The rebel forces will be looking to make new allies and we'll take the cast to these great places and then something goes wrong. As always. So we're going to get a little bit of that. What went wrong to put the rebellion back on the run before Empire? Um, Can I just say one thing here? I love this cover to, to uh, issue 38. Yeah. Yeah. That is an awesome cover. It's kind of the first time we see Luke in, in Jedi robes, too. Mm. It's almost his Tatooine outfit with with robes. Right. To some extent. Yeah, to me, it doesn't look like Jedi robes as much as just uh, um, like a desert Bedouin's robes or something because it's got all the extra flowing bits at the yeah, top. Yeah, kind of, yeah. And I love the uh, Star Destroyer up at the top there unleashing all the TIE fighters. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, you you almost miss it if you don't if you look quick. Yeah, um, because the run has more of a military tone than Jason's run. I thought the best way to start <clears throat> that was by coming off the back of Rogue One, which was more of a war movie take on the Star Wars universe. If you think about it, Rogue One, is almost that World War II movie with the beachfront, the more right. Pacific side, which we don't see a lot of. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, and that was a, a genre that hadn't been covered yet in the Star Wars universe. I mean, because Hoth could almost be Russia during, you know, Germany going into Russia d- during the Russian winters. Mm. Or or even the, the Battle of Bastan with the 101st and all that. So, um, so we're kind of starting with the smaller story, uh, integrating, uh, integrating with and exposing the New Hope characters to everything that happened in Rogue One. We're going to the post-apocalyptic wasteland that was left after the Empire blew a hole in Jeddah and removed one of the holiest sites there. This is great for all our characters, which I think we've talked about before. Uh, yeah. We're taking Leia to a planet that was shot by the Death Star for a survivor of Alderaan. That's everything. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Then Luke is searching for the spirituality of the Jedi, and he's taken to a big hole where the holiest site used to be. That's an enormous visual that expresses the problem that Luke is facing. Um, What he's looking for isn't there anymore. That's because, like Leia, he's looking for things in Alderaan places. Oh. Oh. Wow. We're here all week. <laughs> Don't you go threatening people like that. <laughs> um so here here's the juicy meaty thematic stuff that you'll you'll and then you'll really get really good visuals. The idea of dropping Luke Han, Leia and Chewbacca and the droids into a post apocalyptic wasteland is pretty fun. Um so then they ask, you know, what will they find when they uh when he drops the cast into Jeddah City? Uh he goes uh, there's a good chance the others, the Rogue One crew survived it, so there's a good chance others did as well. Also, Jeddah wasn't the only settlement on the planet. Those other settlements are in, shall we say, a pretty poor state right now. And yes, Sally Field is on TV on the Holonet asking for donations for them too. <laughs> for credit, for credits a day, the cost of a, a glass of blue milk, you too can help with Jeddah. Okay, never mind. I don't want to. I don't want to pre- pretend that I'm old enough to remember that. <laughs> I don't want to remember that I'm old enough to remember that. I remember. I remember. Actually, it wasn't that long ago. She's still doing it, unfortunately. Mm. Um, there, th- actually, I think you said Sally Field, but it's Sally Struthers. That's what I meant, Sally Struthers. Sorry. 
<laughs> we, we don't want Sally Field getting mad at us. No. Uh, there are reasons why the Empire thinks it needs to go back to Jeddah. They took all the kyber crystals from the planet, and now they're coming back for something else. That's prompted by what could be best described as a neo-partisan movement. Some people are trying to carry on in the spirit of Saw Gerrera. Though we get people like Luke discovering everything that allowed him to get into the position, into a position to destroy the Death Star, he finds out about Jen Ursa and all the people who sacrificed their lives to give him the chance to be a hero, such as Red Five. If Red Five yeah. didn't didn't sacrifice themselves, then Luke couldn't be Red Five. Yep. So, um, I wonder if uh, he'll kind of cover that in this story, maybe taking that on as to honor him or something. Um, I don't know. Because it, it very quickly or even changes. Just that, even if that, yeah. Well, even if yeah. that's maybe something that helps lead them back to Jedi, he finds out, okay, well, I was assigned Rogue Five. Who was Rogue Five before me? He was this guy that died in this battle. Or well, wait, was, this was the battle to get the Death Star plans? Huh. And then mm. he does some research. Well, it was Red Five. But it, it's yeah. once we become uh, Empire Strikes Back, Red Squadron becomes Rogue Squadron. Right. And, yeah. and he doesn't take on the moniker of Rogue One. He takes on the moniker or a rogue leader. Yeah. And there is no Rogue One. Well, if I remember right, um, the leaders of all the color squadrons were um, red leader, yellow leader. Right. Gold leader. Yeah. But I, I think it's interesting. They become Rogue Squadron. Yeah. Do we Are we going to potentially see that because of Rogue One, the Rogue One mission, that he changes Ooh. the name of Red Squadron Ooh, to Rogue Squadron? Good point. Um. CBR then says, you know, you introduced quite a few names and interesting characters in your run and on Darth Vader. Any chance of seeing some of them during your Star Wars run? Uh, he says, yes, we've been doing Star Wars comics for a while now. We've introduced quite a few characters. At the same time, we have a whole new canon. So there's a lot of different places we can go. But I'm specifically bringing back uh, Queen Trios. Of Shu Toran, which will be interesting. Uh, she was invader mm-hmm. and was brought into the Ark as a civilian expert for the Empire because Shu Toran was basically a hell world where they created a society that runs like pre-revolutionary France. So, um, God, the cover for this variant cover for 38 looks great as well. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to get to one of the better questions. Uh, helping you tell your story uh, is your Darth Vader collaborator, Salvador LaRocca. How does it feel to reunite with Salva, an artist who not only knows Star Wars, but has a real affinity for both technology and acting? Uh, and who is one of my favorite artists. Basically, he said, it's great. The band is back together. Salva has so many skills. Uh, he's great at likenesses. He's a great tech. He's great at inventing stuff that looks Star Wars, which is an incredible skill for this. He's blindingly fast. If we've got Salva, we don't need to f- do fill-in issues. Salva can do modern shipping. Can do a modern shipping book by himself. Uh, if you look at his pages in the recent Screaming Citadel crossover we did between Star Wars and Afra, uh, they're very different from traditional Star Wars pages because he was basically doing a horror story, which. It's a great series. Mm. Um, he really leaned into the horror of the characters. So with this, um, so with this, we're really trying to get into a war movie aesthetic f- feel. Basically, we want to want to continue the continuity with what Jason's been doing, but we also want to kind of give this a feel like a start of a new volume. 
Uh, it starts with issue 38 and builds off everything Jason has done, uh, which is great because, you know, times that we've seen a new writer come in or a new team come in, it's pretty much, oh, we're going to wipe out everything that's been told prior to this right. to make our stories more important. Um, so they're keeping everything Jason has done. But there is a time gap, so people can easily jump aboard. This is where original Star Wars cast integrates uh, integrates with the cast and events of Rogue One. Um, then will there be a lot of will there be much connective tissue between Star Wars and Doctor Aphra? They're only two. They are the only two books set in the same time period, both being written by me. We have no plans for a crossover at this moment. We've done that twice, and Aphra's plans are pretty much laid out. Until issue twenty five, and I don't that's remember. An interesting, yeah. Considering hmm, twenty five, that's when Darth Vader ended. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot, really, a lot of room for a whole lot. But it's more like Star Wars will influence Afra than Afra will influence Star Wars. There are certain things that are set in motion in Star Wars that will hit Afra quite hard. Mm. So. If everything's Very to me, interesting. it could be looked at. Maybe Afra's going to end at 25. If plans are laid out until then, maybe he has nothing more to bring to the table. And then Afra could come over as long as he's still writing um, Star Wars. He can incorporate Af- uh, Dr. Afra into the Star Wars title more consistently. Mm. I'm just trying to think, what what issue are they on with Afra? Uh, I don't remember. 12. Because they, they could... <laughs> issue 12 comes out in September. So we're almost talking, halfway there. We're talking at least another year. Yeah. And they could they could do, you know, like have her just pop up in Star Wars without it being an, an actual official crossover. Oh, yeah. Like they, yeah. They a, little, e- a little bit here or there. They could easily make her part of the, the permanent cast of the Star Wars title after 25. But we're talking sure. 38... Plus 12, that takes it like issue 50 for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So, figure shortly after that hits 50, that should put Afro around 20, 22, 23. Wouldn't be that hard to start slowly bring, bringing her to an end and moving her into yeah. moving her little group. Of course, we're talking um, trips and, and BT, and of course, uh, the Wookiee bounty, bounty hunter, uh, Black, was it Black Rock? Something like that. It's black something. I, it, last name is typical Wookiee yeah. name. It's hard to pronounce. Yeah, it starts with a K. Black, uh, Black Raston. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Now Black uh, Kras and Tan. There we go. So, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing seeing him jump in. I, I really am. Mm, uh, I am too. Yeah, it looks like they got a really good start on whether where they're going to go, and they got some interesting things to check out. Yeah, I mean now we're gonna get more more warlike. Uh, we're and it sounds like we're we're potentially if if he's taking it to the end of this volume of you now this is what volume two volume three officially. I, if this is bring if this is potentially bringing the Star Wars title to an end because they're gonna bring it right up to Empire, that could be awesome. Because mm, yeah. then it leads right into Empire. Finish the book. Well, the cool thing. Go ahead. Give it. Let it be done for. Let Star Wars be done for three months. Bring in the new volume that takes place after Empire, and we take right. it from Empire and go fifty, sixty issues to Return of the Jedi to the start of Return. Because I definitely want to see some stories post Empire. Yeah. 
but I, but I think giving giving a run between Star Wars and Empire a a clean break and just letting it go and just as it's starting to you know it, it still have the other Star Wars books in there just as it starts to be a non thought boom here's a new Star Wars number one sort of like they did with Vader and it mm. picks up at the events right after Empire right. So that'd be cool. First panel could be and Jordan, if you're listening, uh, Jordan White, editor. <laughs> I know mm-hmm. that we're talking years from now, you know, a couple of years from now, but hey, it was a great idea. Shove it. Um, first panel could be right after that that ending of Empire with Luke and Leia, C3PO and R2 looking out of the med ship as the Falcon's going away. And then we could go either into the Falcon with Lando and Chewie heading towards Tatooine or trying to figure out where he could be, where, where Han could be, or here's the next step, trying to figure out how do we get the, how do we get there and, and the stories that happen in between. You know, it could be kind of interesting if they go that route at all. Um, see if they could bring in any, um, possibly any of the elements from like Shadows of the Empire. Yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be cool. Not the not change the characters in a couple situations or something. Yeah, yeah. But but figure two, if we go Empire to Return, we're talking. Here's a whole story run where you have no Han Solo. This is true. Yeah. And if you have Han Solo, it's it's just you're seeing him as wall decoration. Mm-hmm. That could well, be it's interesting. Kind of like where Luke Skywalker, it's kind of the same. Um, Han Solo would serve the same role in this series as Luke does in The Force Awakens. Luke Skywalker right. is all throughout that movie, but he's never actually on screen. Right. Yeah. The entire movie's about him. Or also what you could do is, uh, since it, since part of that story is about Chewie and Lando out searching for loot, for Han, excuse me, you could have that, you know, some flashbacks with them and... Yeah, fill yeah. in some of Lando's backstory. Yeah. Well, we we get some with the Lando series, but it's yeah. almost a prequel a, a leading, little, yeah. leading up to Empire. Right. But you could get more into the... the the whole friendship between Lando and Han and Chewie and yeah, as they're searching for their friend. True. So, well, talking about um, battles and, and war, um, it's an interesting book coming out. Yes. Uh, this month, there's a book coming out called On the Front Lines, and it is, uh, it is written by Daniel Wallace, uh, produced by Becker and Mayer, and published by Titan's book, Titan Books. It is a beautifully illustrated book. Uh, that deserves to be enjoyed for its artwork and different perspectives as much as utilized as a reference guide. Um, it's going to be about the battles, some of the battles in Star Wars, and StarWars.com did an interview with the writer, Daniel Wallace. Uh, and the first thing they ask is, on the, front line, on the Front Lines provides a view of key ground and space battles of the Star Wars saga from the plains of Naboo to the beaches of Scarif and the skies of Starkiller Base. Uh, from many points of view, how did you decide which ways to explore each battle. Uh, and he says most battles have a very distinct flavor to them. Something that jumps out in your mind when you think on it. Picture the Battle of Naboo. I bet you thought about the Gungans before you remembered Bravo Flight. Sadly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that principle largely dictated the narrative. I think there's only one time where we had no choice but to focus on both the ground and space campaigns in equal measure, and that was the Battle of Endor. Uh, for each battle, the book takes readers through a stage-by-stage analysis, including the pre-battle setup, the tactics used, and the aftermath. 
sidebars include commander profiles and overviews of the equipment and soldier classes used in that particular conflict. Finally, Tales of Valor is an in-memoriam in look at a soldier who sacrificed their life, and I was there, is the first-person recollection written by a survivor. So that sounds like some interesting things there. Mm-hmm. I like this idea. I'm very interested. So, 11 major battles are covered in this book. Tell us more about the selection process for choosing which battles to cover. Each of the seven movies in the saga, eight if you count Rogue One, contains one definitive, defining battle. That made picking the first eight pretty simple. From there, Star Wars The Clone Wars made a lot of sense to focus on. We very nearly included the Battle of Malastare before deciding to go with Christophus and Ryloth. Unfortunately, there wasn't enough advanced prep time to include Star Wars Rebels. Oh, that is too bad. Uh, final slot went to the Battle of Jakku, which is the only battle in On the Front Lines that is never actually seen on screen. Ah, interesting. Uh, to write that, he had to rely on the af- on sources like the Aftermath novels, uh, the Battlefront game, and the young adult adventures Lost Stars, and then fill in his own blanks. Uh, how does the artwork enhance the experience? Encapsulate in this guide. Honestly, the artwork is easily the most compelling reason to get this book. Uh, and they show some of the artwork, and it, it yeah, is really, really sweet yeah. looking. Really sweet looking. I like how they're all, all painted. Yes, yeah. Uh, the cover's by Brian Rood, and there's some truly amazing pieces by Adrian Rodriguez, Thomas Weiveg, Aaron Ryle, and Faris Maiz. Brian Rood is an amazing artist. Yes, definitely. And that cover is spectacular. Brian is someone I definitely want to get on this show. That'd be awesome. Uh, on the Front Lines is fundamentally an art book. I promise you won't be disappointed. Uh, so then they ask, what was the process for putting a section together? The Battle of Hoth served as our primordial ooze in terms of figuring out what this book would ultimately become. Way back when we were still kicking around ideas about structure, we went straight to Hoth for our design example. I also spent a lot of time paging through real-world war books that covered the American Civil War or the Pacific Theater during World War II. From there, a lot of the pieces fell into place. From Hoth's example, we developed profiles of opposing generals and explanations of military hardware, and we find the history book point of view that fits each battle within the larger context of shifting galactic power. So the more I hear about this, the more I am very intrigued. Yeah. I so yeah. want to get this. Sounds book. like it's gonna be good stuff. This is right up there with uh, Inferno Squad. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then for each battle, they included a tale of valor, showcasing a hero of the valor, as well as a first-hand account from someone who was present. And some of these characters are familiar faces, but not necessarily the main movie characters. Uh, so they asked Kelly, "How do you decide which characters?" He says, "No question. These were absolutely my favorite." parts of working on this book, especially the I Was There feature. That one is a first person's tale as related by a survivor of the battle using their own words. That is an awesome idea. I love that. Uh, the book doesn't lean on the big movie characters, which is also a good thing. Because uh, they're not usually the people on the front lines. And when they are, they're soldiers in the service of a larger goal. Uh, for example, Lando gets a mention here, but only as gold leader. Hey, Luke shows up, but only as Red Five. Uh, not Red Leader. Oh. <laughs> 
Uh, it kind of makes sense that since this is an in-universe book, right? Um, people in the regular, just in the universe, wouldn't be uh, putting a whole lot of extra emphasis on Red Five during the Battle of Yavin because at that point he's just another pilot. Exactly. Yeah. They have no Lando idea. Lando is just another leader or, yep. or another general in the battle. And he said, he says his favorite stories are the Gungan foot soldier offering her candid recollection of serving under General Binks. <laughs> <laughs> Traitor. That would be awesome. <laughs> Traitor. And the tale of the rat like rebel salvager who seized Imperial warships above Jakku. Uh, you also take a look at the generals and admirals, uh, as well as the key combatants and their technology. What might raiders find interesting in these sidebar sections? I think the commander profiles work in shining a light on the high-level strategic chess game being played out on the battlefield, and the shift to first-person narratives from ordinary soldiers helps emphasize the value of the people <clears throat> excuse me, tasked with carrying out those maneuvers. Uh, one of the more interesting aspects of the tech sections is the opportunity to trace the evolution of starfighters, walkers, and other war machines from prequel era to sequel era. That I like. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I like the fact that they're actually including the prequel stuff in with this because it mm. seems like there's been a lot of um, lately there's been a lot of Lucasfilm kind of just letting the prequel era sit where it is and not really doing anything with it. Right. One of the thing, one of the good things about the prequels, I will say, is is uh, some of the battle stuff was good. Was really yeah. good. Yeah. Well, my my thing about the prequels is there are some good stories there, but right, it's, it's just the execution. Yeah. The, the execution was not right. Yeah, no, it was not good. Basically, it's been said over and over again. Lucas could, um, the stories were there. It was it was Star Wars all the way through. Lucas could have used uh, um, Script Doctor to yes. help punch it up a little bit. Well, which is what he did for the first three. The first three, because yeah, I think he um, he wrote the original strip, script for Star Wars, but they um, then they had some people come in and punch up the dialogue some. And the second right. two, he didn't. He um, came up with the stories, but didn't actually write the scripts. Right, and not only that, a Script Doctor, but maybe have other directors take take the helm as well sort of like what he did with the prequels or with the original trilogy exactly yeah yeah I mean, because uh i mean there were some great moments in attack of the clones right o overall without saying okay get rid of this get rid of that attack of the clones i thought was a solid film I still think right. I still think Revenge of the Sith is better, but Revenge of the Sith had too too many apartment scenes, making it too mu almost too much of a love story. Yeah, right. and then uh, have you guys? Which is what the problem with um, Clones was. Right. They they released. Uh, I think it was Dark Horse when they had the license. They released uh, a comic based on the original script to Star Wars. Did you guys ever yes. check that out? No, I think I thought Marvel put that out. No, that was that was one of the last I, things done. Was, yeah, yeah, it was by Dark Horse. Dark that. Horse books. I have. That it. Was, I think it's over on my shelf behind me. There, uh, there were, I found that a little hard to get through. There were thirteen issues to that. One, uh, one was a um, all the concept art. Yeah, I have the trade of it. I uh, can see. I can definitely see that the changes they made were made it a lot better. Yeah, I, I have. I have all the issues. I don't have the trade. I won't get the trade. Yeah, the trade is awesome. I don't think I have all the issues, but I think I have at least a few of them. The art was done by Mike Mayhew mm. as well. So That's right, yeah. So getting back to on the front lines, they asked Daniel Wallace what were some of the challenges and opportunities he had. 
He said one of the big challenge, one big challenge was the fact that when we started working on the books, several of the battles hadn't happened yet. I could see that being a challenge. Yes, <laughs> we started in 2015, so our list of placeholders included the Battle of Starkiller Base and the Battle of Jakku from The Force Awakens and the Battle of Scarif from Rogue One. In the case of Jakku, I had to rewrite the the entry every time new sources were made available. <laughs> I can see that making things difficult. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they asked him if he were in the Star Wars galaxy, which battle would he most want to explore and document? Uh, and he said he'd do everything in his power to avoid dangerous situations. Uh, hopefully I could at least program a droid, maybe R2-D2, to go down and make some hollow recordings for me while I remained with C-3PO or somebody less brave and more self-preservational. <laughs> Uh, that being said, there are some battles with unique visual flair that would be interesting to document from more angles. Uh, Christophus with its elevated city canyons or maybe Genosis with its sense of all-out mayhem on a massive scale. Well, I guess that that brings up a question. Of the different Star Wars battles, which one would you want to get go witness firsthand? Mm-hmm. I'm a chicken. I wouldn't want to witness any battles. <laughs> well, figure, say you could do it safely from a very live remote that no matter what, ah. it's going to hold up. For me, it would have to be one of the space battles. Yeah. I think maybe the attack on the second Death Star. Yeah, because what you got to think, if you, if you just break them down, the attack on the first Death Star, unless you're right up on the Death Star watching it, there's not much else going on. All right. You, what was it? Three squadrons of fighters, like maybe 10 fighters each from the Rebellion against the entire Death Star. So there's not wow. much to watch. That was the original movies. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, when it came to the special edition, all of a sudden we now have four complete. You know, we we have several major squadrons going up against. Yeah. It seems more like a balanced fight, and, and to me, not what made Star Wars so appealing. Oh, this little yeah. ragtag group did something spectacular. Yeah. Well. But then you move on from there to the next major battle in the series would be Hoth, which right. is basically an old school World War One trench battle. Yep. Which would be it'd be kind of cool to see the walkers and everything, but too cool. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> well, again, you're in a climate <laughs> climate controlled. Mm. Well, that's the only all out battle in Empire. You move on to Jedi. The only all out like warfare battle is the Battle of the Second Death Star, which would be interesting to see. Yeah. Um, I think for me, yeah, actually, if you want to see an actual large-scale, huge battle. Probably the battle for um, Coruscant at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith. You have yeah. the, entire, the entire Separatist fleet attacking the capital of the Republic. Yeah, that'd be an awesome one, too. Definitely. And um, the movie doesn't say how long it went on for, because we jump in right in the middle of the battle. Right. But that yeah. had to have been days or weeks long, that battle, that siege. Yeah. Well, for, for me, I, I think that I, I'm torn between two. I would love to be at the Battle of, of Hoth um, because I, I just have fallen in love with the Adats. And then the other... You were right along with the driver. Oh, yeah, yeah I do. It'd be, uh, we're taking this one. We're standing over here. I'm putting a Red Cross symbol on it so we don't get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just want to watch. <laughs> um, and then the second one is, I, I think, the Battle of Scarif at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, that'd be a good one. Yeah. Only because of the whole, I, I have just fallen in love with the, even though that is from our time period, our trilogy, you know, it, it's tied into the original trilogy. I, 
as much as I really wasn't a fan of the tank troop, uh, the tank drivers, <laughs> um, the Scarif troopers, the shore troopers were amazing. I just loved the look. I, I loved the fill. And, and, and I, this is with me realizing their helmets aren't that far different from the tank driver helmets. True. Yeah. So I'm just curious, when did... When did the tank driver helmet or tank drivers get switched to to adat drivers that we come to know and love from from Empire? When did that change occur? It Obviously, may just be an upgrade. See if you think these are both um, heavy armored transport drivers. Right. It's the same job. It's just a different um, vehicle. Right. Right. Yeah. So that that could signify that. Yeah, and it could be just the fact that it's time. Over time, we've seen we saw throughout the prequels and in. Um, Moving on to the um, original trilogy and moving on to the sequel trilogy, that um, the uniforms evolve over time. It happens in the real military. Right. And it, give it ten years, ten years, and an infantry trooper in the U.S. Army now does, ha, looks different than an infantry trooper ten years ago did. And right. ten right. years in the future from now, he will look totally different again, even though it's the same job. True. So you know what? I'm gonna have to find um, some of the pics. My wife actually took them. Um, and send them to you guys. There is somebody around my area where I live that drives around on a white motorcycle in a full biker scout uniform, wow. helmet and all. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. She was she she was driving behind him one day and she took some pictures and, and video and she showed me. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. I'm gonna have to find yeah, this. Is. You have to find this guy and get him on the show for do an interview. Yeah, really. Even just inter- you have all the stuff. Interview him in your house and drop. We'll drop it in. That's not a bad idea. If I ever see him again, well, I never <laughs> actually saw him. She did, but I must find him. Yeah, you have a quest. <laughs> so, um, I guess if we're done with this, because I mean we discussed it. How much more could we do? Yeah. Uh, let's get into uh, some Gen Con news. Oh, yeah. I'm all excited about this. Um, anybody who doesn't know, Gen Con is basically a um, four-day convention. It descends on Indianapolis, Indiana um, every August, and it is the largest gaming, tabletop gaming convention. in. I believe it's only it's the second largest in the world behind Essen, the Essen Toy Fair in Germany. There, you're looking at 70 to 80,000 people showing up for role-playing games, for anything from Dungeons & Dragons to Star Wars to anything else that can be Played on a tabletop, they play it here. Well, Fantasy Flight Games, who makes the Star Wars role playing games and basically all Star Wars tabletop gaming right now, was there. Um, and actually, I was my wife and I went to Gen Con last year to cover it for Geek Watch One. This year, we decided not to go. And then I found out this year, Pablo Hidalgo's there um, working with Fantasy Flight. Oh. <laughs> but um, doesn't that figure? <laughs> they've made some interesting um, announcements for what's coming up. Um, one of the things coming up is: um, Are you guys? familiar with star wars imperial assault oh yes yeah it's basically a tabletop strategy game or um strategy uh board game. Uh, let me look at here and um they have a new game fantasy flight's putting out a new game this that they're calling their first um full strategy game but this looks very similar to imperial assault it's called star wars uh legion 
And as the site froze up on me, I have to bring it back up again. Hang on. Well, I can bring up the um, other link here. Wait a minute. There we go. Yes. And Star Wars Legion is going to be made by Fantasy Flight. It's um, at Gen Con 50. They announced the, a new line of Star Wars minis um, and a brand new game called Star Wars Legion. These figures um, look fantastic. And if you look at the pictures that they have in the article, they look awesome. Yeah, but they, they, come, they come like your for, like for Warhammer or anything else where they come totally unpainted. So you can paint them any way you want. But um, the game oh, wow. comes um, out of the box at ninety dollars. It comes out. Wow. It's going to be available early eighteen. That's about the right price for the uh, introduction. Other ones that if you get full armies um, introductory minis, you're at fifty to one hundred dollars. Minis is not a cheap way to go. Man, life has life has changed from when I last bought minis. I remember Games Workshop buying the different minis from them, and it was a lot cheaper. It was like twenty bucks <laughs> for individual minis, or were you buying full sets? It, this would be like a full set of uh, anywhere between six to six to nine yeah. figs in it. Okay. Well, this comes. Let me see if I can find. Uh, I, I'm at their um, the Fantasy Flight website right now, and um, it says this game. I'm just going to read their description here because um, it says warfare is an inescapable part of the Star Wars universe, from the blow dealt to the Rebel Alliance and the Battle of Hoth to a few Rebel strike teams taking on a legion of stormtroopers stationed on Endor. Seize your chance to get your boots on the ground and lead your troops to victory with Star Wars Legion, a miniatures game of thrilling infantry battles in the Star Wars universe. Star Wars Legions or Legion to join the other battles of the Galactic Civil War as the commander of a unique army filled with troopers, powerful ground and repulsor vehicles, and iconic characters like Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. While innovative mechanics um, simulate the fog of war and the chaos of battle, the unpainted, easily assembled miniatures give you a canvas to create the Star Wars army you've always wanted to lead into battle. You fight for the monolithic, oppressive Galactic Empire or the ragtag Rebel Alliance. You get to order your troops. Star Wars Legends is played over the course of six rounds as you and your opponent duel over objectives on the bat on a battlefield of the Galactic Civil War. At the end of six rounds, the player with the most victory tokens earned from objectives wins the game. So actually, that kind of sounds like using victory objectives itself sounds like it's almost a tabletop version of Battlefront. Yeah, yeah. Up in the middle of a battle and you have to um, achieve your check objectives. Now it says um, naturally the first step in destroying your opponent on the field of battle or the first step in destroying your opponent on the field of battle and completing your objectives is to deliver orders to your units. Every time your army or every unit in your army will activate each round, whether it receives orders or not. But giving orders to a unit gives you the, a powerful level of control over whether or when that, that unit activates, as you'll see below. So this goes through the, all the game mechanics on how to play and all this stuff, too. But um, you have, um, if you've ever played any of the, have you guys ever played any of the Fantasy Flight games? Um, X-Wing or um, X-Wing, yeah. Armada. Um, all of their games use very similar mechanics with um, your cards for different orders. Um, every game has used the same dice, but with a totally unique set of symbols on them. If nothing else, Fantasy Flight has figured out how to sell dice. Yeah. Every yeah. one of their games, you 
uses the exact same polyhedral dice, the standard set of uh, D20, a 12, an 8, a 10, but all of them have different symbols on them. So if you're playing the role-playing game or the mini- any of the miniature games or anything else, that's you got to buy this dice for that set. But this is a straight-up strategy game. You um, give your units um, orders. You play, at it, play it out back and forth with the battle, rolling dice back and forth. Um, this looks like a great game. Like I said, it comes unpainted, but um, like the um, X-Wing and TIE Fighter game or X-Wing games and Armada games, you get um, markers to help um, show where your movements are to help move your guys around and stuff. So um, it says it takes one to two hours to play a game. It's two players and ages 14 up. Uh, this is coming early, uh, early winter or probably, I'm thinking January, February, 2018 at right around $90 price range. Uh, I believe fantasy flight, you can pre-order it from them right now, uh, for $89.95. That's right in time for my birthday. Exactly. And the pre-order does not say <laughs> when it actually releases. So wait, let me see if I can see details. Yeah, it doesn't, it has no information on where it comes from or when, but the one that had me really excited was, um, do you guys remember West End? games yes the west end games star wars game now back in the late 80s anybody who doesn't remember especially people that uh, there's plenty of people that were either too young or um grew up with the prequels and with star wars everywhere because when um when lucas re-released the special editions of star wars star wars basically became a household name again for everybody and it's not gone away since then but in the late 80s and specifically 1987 star wars was pretty much the kenner had was no longer making action figures. There was no Star Wars toys on the pegs. If they were, they were two or three years old. Um, there were no books out there, no new films. Basically, Star Wars was a dead property. Enter West End Games. They yep. actually licensed Star Wars from Lucasfilm to make a Star Wars role-playing game. Now, this had a, um, a unique game mechanic. Now, a lot of people are familiar with Dungeons & Dragons, where, like I said, you use the polyhedral dice, um, and you use percentile dice, and um, you roll to see who hits and everything else. West End Games had a totally different mechanic that it actually used only six-sided dice, which everybody in the world had from Monopoly or anything like right. And all your character, um, the amount of skill your character had certain talent or uh, fighting with a weapon was how many dice you rolled. And you basically just have a target number. Say, you want to shoot a stormtrooper that's 10 feet away. Maybe that's, uh, maybe you'd have like an 18 to hit. So you'd roll however many dice you have. If you have five dice you're allowed to roll for your blocker, you'd roll those five dice, add them up, you've hit 18, you got them. It was that simple to play the game. Now, now, um, Western Games, not only did they just, did it help keep Star Wars a lot, but in 91, when Thrawn, or yeah, with Thrawn, when Timothy Zahn brought Star Wars back into um, novels, they actually, Lucasfilm handed him the Star Wars source book from the West End role-playing game because West End had actually fleshed out the universe. Up until yeah. this point, everybody, um, all the novels, the comic books a little bit, had fleshed out a little bit outside of the universe, but um, all the toys and everything were based on what you see on screen in the movies. And that's all there was. Well, the the role playing game and just the um, the nature of the way these games work, you had they had to flesh out the universe. They had to tell you how does this stuff work? Where is the um, seed of po- um, galactic power? What is the name of some of these other planets? Well, um, that's where the West End role playing game was Coruscant. That was actually um, named in the West End role playing game. That's where they got the name for that. And Timothy Zahn picked it up from there and then put it into his book. 
So, um, but the reason I'm going all the, into all this about the West End game is this year is the 30th anniversary of the release of the Star Wars role playing game from West End Games, and Fantasy Flight Games having the has a license for all tabletop role playing games is actually reprinting and re releasing the original West End role playing game in a uh, two book volume in the fourth quarter of 2017 um, for 59 or yeah for 60. It's wow. A, two-book hardcover of um, the original role-playing game reprint, and uh, where's the other half of it? It's 30th anniversary edition of Star Wars The Role-Playing Game will include two hardcover books, the rule book and the source book. Now, the rule book was basically everything you need to know how to play the game. The source book was everything, it was basically the universe. It's the encyclopedia of what is the Star Wars universe. So if you wanted to know how an X-Wing works, you'd go to the source book. Uh, what planet was um, Nine Numb from? We know what that is now, but at that point, no one knew. You'd go right. to the source book or the other manuals, and they would tell you where it is. Now, it says both are based on the game's first edition from 1987 and feature the original graphics, colors, and design, pr- design printed on a higher quality paper. Uh, the rulebook contains a new forward from Lucasfilm Story Group's Pablo Hidalgo, who began this, his Star Wars career writing supplemental material for the role-playing game. Um, it's planned for release in the fourth quarter of 2017 for, in retail for um, $60, which that's not bad 30 bucks for a role-playing book depending on where who it's from it's not that not actually bad no it's, it's a little not. bit yeah, higher. definitely like, um i actually have the star wars role-playing game rule book sitting on the shelf behind me it's the second edition from 96 so but the role-playing game started in 87 and it was running until late 90s when um, wizards of the coast got the license and re-released a new version of it Oh right, yeah. Um, actually, I could. I got that book, rule book behind me too, so I could. Uh, but I'd have to reach back and find it to find out when they actually released that. But even at that point, um, like my comic shop here um, at home still has West End Star Wars books on the shelf. You can still buy the materials for it. So I'm all. I was all excited when I saw this was being re-released because this the this was fantastic stuff. They even had. Um, I think it was a monthly adventure journals that they would send out, and it was stories in the Star Wars universe. And then at the end of each story, it would tell you um the rules on how to play some of the stuff that was in that story so good stuff yes oh yeah but that's what i saw out of gen con so far um i know they did have a panel today um pablo was in on it the, a panel on actually the history of star wars role-playing games so i haven't heard anything out of that yet but um these were the two stories that jumped out and like i said both of them look awesome um fantasy flight in general tends to be a little expensive to play um like x-wing the starter set is 30 bucks and your ships yeah, are 15 to 20 to buy more ships mm. Um, Armada, I think, is closer to 50 to start with. And basically, the difference is in in Star Wars X-Wing, you're playing um, squadron battles. It's fighter squadrons. Where in Armada, you're playing fleet battles. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, too, with the ships, whether you're buying a new, you know, Pose X-Wing or you're buying the Falcon, there's not that much difference in price when you go from ship to ship. Yeah. Oh, wow. Really big ships will get up to 25 or 30 dollars but most of them you're between 15 and 20 bucks yeah the nice thing though is that out of the box they are beautifully painted ready to go oh they're gorgeous absolutely gorgeous so um tell you what let's jump right into um this last story about the bb-8 or a new bb-8 bb unit bb series astromech unit um there's a production leak that 
Apparently, Walmart has an exclusive pop from Fun- from Funko that has been making it to Reddit to give a first look at a resistance BB-8 unit or BB unit. Now, here's some differences from what we've seen already with the BB-9E, which are the the first order BB-8s or BB God, calling them BB-8s BB series. <laughs> um, the package indicates that the droid's headpiece is different from BB-8's round head and the 9E's astromech-like head. Now, the the BB-9E, to me, that kind of had a... I'm trying to find a picture of it again. See, the, the one I... Okay, maybe it was this one then that I was seeing pictures of. Um, the, the 9E has more of an astromech head. Uh, the resistance BB unit appears to have more of a tr- protruding piece with a lens that comes out of the head. To me, I think if this is one that I'm thinking of, this one's almost closer to like a an R an R nine head or or maybe a, a, a stylized a, a BB series version of an R five head. Could be. Um, there are some somewhat minor cosmetic differences, though, that make the droids stand out on their own altogether. How will the Resistance use BB droids, and how will they differ from the astromechs that pilots usually use in their starships? Hopefully, we learn more about these droids um, when The Last Jedi opens December 15th. And then, speaking of opening... I'm going to go into the books that are coming for uh, the rest of this month. So starting with Wednesday, the 23rd, we have Dr. Afro number annual number one, uh, the second printing of Darth Vader number two, the second printing of Darth Vader number three. Mm-hmm. And of course, these are the ones by Charles Soule at the helm. Uh, on the 29th, we have Aftermath, Empire's End, which I've got the other book. I've got the... Uh, there's two others in the series, right? Am I right on I'm this? I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm yes. not sure either, actually. Yes, there's Aftermath, and then Aftermath, Life Debt. And this is the third oh, book. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I, have, I have Aftermath and Life Debt. I have not had a chance to read them, though. Yeah. Um, I was able to um, get them from the library on the audiobooks and read them that way, because I can do that while I'm working at work. Yeah. Audiobooks are, are a great tool. Yeah. I want to get the Thrawn book as well, because um, I hear... Th- it's, it's not available yet at all from the library. I mean, they don't even have a copy of it. Oh, uh, we might have to see about... You know, you could go apply for an account at Audible, and they give you... I don't know if I... I have a credit for this year or not. So I already have an account with Audible that um, I don't know. I could try to sign up again and see if it because usually once a year they'll let you sign up again. But but you can use your Wookie Radio account, email account, and sign uh-huh. up. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, free book. Ho 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 ho. Uh, also on the 29th is The Force Awakens. It's a children's graphic novel from IDW. Hmm. Um, and then uh, the new Star Wars Insider comes out on. Uh, it's issue 175. And then on the 30th, we have Mace, Jedi of the Republic, Mace Windu number one, one of five, and Star Wars number 35 also coming. So that's that's it for the rest of the month. Good stuff. So um, any final thoughts? Nope. I, know, I, I, so. I need to figure out some other way of kind of wrapping this because I say that on almost every show. <laughs> it just seems so natural for me to say, though. Well... If if we don't have anything else, then um, I'm just going to leave you guys with this. Don't get excited. Give the evacuation code signal. All right, cut the chatter. 
object. I can hold it. Pull up! No, I'm all right. I have placed information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. I've lost R2. Oh, <laughs> my